and welcome once again to another Adelaide United Legends podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, as always, John Luca. We call him GL. It's good How to you be doing? here. Yeah, good, good. It's good yeah? to be here. Yeah. You ready to interview a, a legend? Yeah, very excited. It was one of my uh, favourite players growing up. Oh, so. well, there you go. We're already into it. <laughs> but here he is, Adelaide United icon, 166 games, 39 goals. He captained the club. He is magic and he wears a magic hat. Travis Dodd, welcome. Thank you, boys. I wish I could get that magic hat back a little bit, maybe yeah, even for my back because my back's not feeling so magic these days. <laughs> I was going to say, first question, yeah, are you in fact magic and do you wear a magic hat? Uh, I do wear a magic hat from time to time, but only in the bedroom. Hey, all right. I do have follow-up questions, maybe off, off, off record. All right. So yeah, because whenever we post about you, whether it's your birthday or it's a goal or a classic match or something, someone always comments that you are magic and you wear a magic hat. Do you see uh, that? No, it was great. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, those days, you know, to have songs made up about you, it's uh, that's quite special because as you see over time and come to learn as a player, that that doesn't happen to, to everyone. So you know, to have players not only sing it then but still refer to it you know, 10 years later, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I ever really thought about that. Yeah, as a player, yeah, how does, how does that feel when fans are singing and chanting your name? There's no doubt it lifts you. There's no doubt whatsoever, uh, you know, particularly if, if things are going well, then, then it's great. Uh, it just keeps keeps pushing you, but if things aren't going so well, it just gives you that extra motivation, that bit of, bit more of a push to to get going and and keep digging in. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like I, I don't know if this is the mentality of other fans as well, but when you when you join in in these songs, you're you're just you're thinking you are thinking about trying to lift the team, and you know you're chanting a player's name and everything. But I have to admit, in my experience, in my younger days, I was probably just getting into it and having a few beers with my mates and you know what I mean? Yeah. But like it does, it does carry across the pitch. Yeah. And without, people can hear, it, you guys yeah. can hear out on the pitch at Cooper's because it's so close. Yeah. You can hear what people are saying. The good and the bad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hear that from our current players now. But, you know, they're like, oh, did you hear so-and-so up in the, you know, the upper deck? I'm like, you heard that? Because, you know, we're sitting up there. But yeah, yeah I'm like, oh. Okay, no, it's, it's, it's just, I won't say a strange place, but it's unique in that it, it can be, you know, you can hear quite a lot of stuff uh, that's going on sidelines, particularly as a winger when you're yeah. running down the wing and, you know, you're in those corners. Uh, yeah, you can you can hear the the defence getting stuck in or, or getting or, behind or you. Depends, behind on, you. Yeah. depends on the result and how you're playing, I guess. That's right. That's right. Okay, so we'll get into more of that. But let's, as we always do, we, we start at the beginning. So tell us more about how – tell us more about young Travis Dodd. Who, who was – Young, who was who was kid Travis Dodd, and how did you get into football, and what drew you to the game? Yeah, he didn't have a magic hat then. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he did. I don't know. <laughs> Polishing it off, getting it ready. No, I I started playing when I was five years old. I grew up in northern suburbs, um, Elizabeth Vale, Salisbury Park. Uh, I went to Salisbury Park Primary School, and it was there that uh, one of my good mates, who I ended up growing up with um, as a teenager was playing at St. Augustine's Soccer Club in the Elizabethan Districts and I just went out to training one night after school, just followed them out and that was it. I've, I've been playing ever since. So I played at St. Augustine's for uh, well, until I was 13 uh, and, and we were very lucky because we had basically the same group of kids, same team 
every year. So we grew up together. Um, we won heaps of trophies and heaps of the cups, which was which was great. Uh, and then made the move to Federation and went to, to Adelaide City as a 13-year-old. So, yeah, it was around that time, th- I was actually 14, where I was playing a bit of baseball as well. Um, my my dad played baseball, my mum played softball, uh, but I was playing baseball. So when I was 14, I made the state team for baseball and soccer in the same year. And then basically after that, I had to... I got told I had to make a decision one way or another. Obviously chose soccer, but I do wonder if I'd stuck with baseball because I was tried to be a pitcher, but I was rubbish at pitching. Um, I went to the state team as a batter. Uh, if I'd been able to, you know, go major league and you, know, you see what yeah, some of those guys, a lot harder, I think, to get into than professional soccer, but you never know. You never yeah. know. But, look, it turned out all right. So. Yeah. I think so. I think it did. <laughs> I think so, yeah. I'm actually going to handball here because Gianluca is a massive baseball fan. So this is this is probably a tangent we didn't expect. Yeah, so no. take it away, no GL, because I think you've got a few questions there. Oh, yeah. So I guess in with that, where do you where would you have seen yourself, do you think, because um, I imagine your speed, you would have been, you know, uh, lightning speed around the bases. So do you, where would you have seen yourself playing? I would have been an outfielder, outfielder, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, look, that when I went away for the state team, that's where I played. Um, I thought I was going as a pitcher, but I realised yeah, at that level I was no good. And to be honest, I wasn't. I probably wasn't a great baseballer, but I had the pace and I had good hand-eye coordination and could strike the ball cleanly and, and hit well. So yeah, I was the only. I was the only South Australian to hit a home run that tournament. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was it was one of those things. Uh, yeah, at club level, I played at Central Districts. Uh, club level, I was a pitcher. Uh, and I guess my claim to fame for baseball was that I spent a few years playing with Luke Prokopek, um, who played for the Dodgers, yeah. ended up going and play for the Dodgers. So when we played under-14s baseball, when we played actually – we played our home games – uh, where the training base is now at Playford uh, on those grounds. So that was our junior um, home ground. Luke, who was a pitcher, he was a left-hander, but he wasn't allowed to pitch because even as a 14-year-old, he threw the ball too hard and none of us could catch to him. So so it was the thing where he had to go as a catcher. Um, but, yeah, he, he went on and did great things for – for Australian baseball and um, he's up at the Riverland now and yeah. So this, this would have been in the days of the original Adelaide Giants as well, yeah? Like they were playing? They would have been around 90, 93, 94, 95, yeah, yeah, yeah. Around, those, around those ages. Yeah, yeah, right. So I guess at that point you, you said you made the decision between soccer and baseball but you obviously could potentially see a pathway there one way or the other. You, yeah. could, have, you could have been an Adelaide Giants legend. Well, you know, the thing was, even for, it was sport in general, um, probably the sport that I followed most locally was basketball, the 36ers. Uh, yeah, I'd never been to a baseball game. And I think at that point, I'd never been to an NSL game either. So it wasn't actually until I went to Tadley City and not too long before I uh, made the first team that I actually started going to games. Um, so it was a weird thing. Just never never knew anyone that was going. Um but like I said, it wasn't until probably 14, 15 that started going to some games and, and seeing what that was all about as well. Yeah, right. Well, I do want to come back to baseball as well and, and ask your opinion on the major leagues at the moment and who you support. But since we're on it, you made your debut for LA City at 16. 
So it wasn't long. You you were coming through the youth ranks. You said you were 14, and then a couple of years later, you're already making an NSL debut. So from going from not even going to NSL games to playing in one. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, it, it was weird, yeah. No no doubt about it. I when as a 13-year-old, played 13s, 14s, or 15s, and then played uh, 17s. Then uh, John Perrin was the coach at the time. Um, Johnny Niskus was assistant coach. They signed me on a contract, but said they wanted me to go to Sassy for a year because uh, I was still 15. So went to Sassy, had that year there, and then came back. Uh, John Perrin had left the club. Um, John Niskus took over and and another legend of the, the game, Joey Mullen, came on as assistant coach at the time. So, you know, that was uh, – and again, I when I look back at that now, I didn't appreciate – players that I was around at the time, uh, you know, playing with Alex Tobin, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Milan Ivanovic, uh, Damian Murray, you know, some huge names yeah, were team, at the yeah. club. Yeah. Uh, and I was just this 16 year old going, oh, I'm just playing soccer with a, a group of blokes. So uh, I, I didn't fully appreciate how unique uh, or the, the unique environment that I was in at the time. But yeah, that was, that was great. Um, came in a 16 year old, had no idea what to expect and you know all of a sudden you're getting paid a bit of money and I was working full time as well so you know loving my life I thought that was a dream and you know, at that point in time you know, I was making the the young Australian team so the under 17s which was great um I was on track in my mind to go and play for Manchester United uh, and make millions so I left school when I was in year 11 um, yeah, I thought I was going to make those millions. Yeah. Uh, didn't turn out like that though. That's interesting. So do, do you think, and not to like put any kind of negative spin on it, but like you you, end, you eventually end up leaving LA City. Did, did that sort of mentality, do you think, did that contribute to your leaving and then going into state or had you already sort of come around to, um, you know, knuckling down and, and just working? As in making professional to be yeah, professional? Yeah, yeah. No, I, so... I left school in year 11. I said to mum that I wanted to leave school. I wanted to play football. You know, I was going to be great. And she said, only if you go and do a traineeship. So I did a traineeship. And and look, that worked out well, as well because I met my wife on that traineeship. And uh, so we've been together ever since then, um, 17. So it's been a life sentence. Um, (laughs) But I left... Adelaide in Adelaide City uh, because two years in, um, Zora Matic came back. Yeah. Uh, I'd also been uh, six months before, 12 months before, I'd been away with the, the Young Socceroos. So we were in Darwin preparing for World Cup qualifiers. Um, you know, we had our last trial game in Darwin before we were going out to Tahiti, I think it was. Uh, and I got injured. I dislocated my ankle, so I had to have I had surgery up in Darwin, and then missed six months. So coming back from that, uh, as probably an eighteen-year-old, I would have been at the time. Um, Zoran was at the club, and Zoran was old school. Um, he was like he was just ruthless in terms of what he demanded, the way that he spoke to you, and I'd never experienced that before, and I really struggled with it. So. Right at the end of that contract, um, yeah, I had a chat to Joey and said, you know, I want to move on. I, I don't like this environment. I don't, I, I'm struggling with this environment. So ended up going to Newcastle. Um, and look, I, I look at Newcastle and 
probably look at that and say that was the first time I was professional because I just went there for football. I didn't have didn't have a job over there. Still getting paid a pittance, but you know, thirty grand a year, I think it was. Um, but for me, I was a professional. Yeah. So you know, going over as a nineteen year old and. I guess that was the the start of what I saw as my professional career. Yeah, it's interesting because I I didn't actually realise how like how many games you actually played in Newcastle. Like, hold my hands up because I was I, I knew you'd played at Parramatta. I knew you were in a state, but um, then in researching this, just like looking back, it was, you spent a lot of time in Newcastle. Yeah, I was uh, about like eighty f- games or something, didn't you? Uh, I was there four years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So oh, I think it would have been close to. No, I thought it was closer to 150. Oh, probably uh, is. I don't yeah, know. I, I don't, Look, I, the records I was looking at can't always be considered <laughs> accurate, let's be honest. Yeah, I thought – I actually don't know off the top of my head. I, maybe I played 150 NSL games whilst I was there. Um, but, yeah, I was there for, for four years and we had uh, we had some great times there, um, you know, almost making a grand final. Um, but, you know, ultimately uh, it was a great, great development of my career because – you know, for the three years that I was Adelaide City, I played almost every week, but almost every one of those games was off the bench. You know, I reckon I, I could count on one hand how many games I started in three years. Uh, and then all of a sudden going to Newcastle, I was starting every week. And you know, I think back now and you know, probably get onto it, but looking back to how I was as a 19, 18, 19 year old to the 18, 19 year olds now in the A-League, you know, if I was coming through now, I don't think I would have got a game because I look back and I thought I was hopeless. <laughs> when, I, when I think back, maybe maybe not uh, as bad as I thought, but you know, technically it just I wasn't where I think the level is today. Looking back at the NSL then and how the A-League is now, then obviously clearly you see a, a, a massive difference. Like it, the game has come along. Yeah, look, I, I think I think it has, yeah. I mean, when when the older generation of, you know, the Tobins, the Ivanoviches, um, those type of players retired, um, I think, was, I mean, they were elite. Yeah, I, I still think that they, they were some of the best players that we had in, in the country that era, um, you know, coming through now, uh, I think the younger ones are technically getting better. Um, you know, I think it's partly to do with the, well, a lot to do with the, the development programs that, that each state based has. Um, but in saying that, it's you know, translating that from from youth to to senior football and then to to national team football. Yeah, yeah, because like gap. depending who you speak to, some say, oh, you know, back then that's you know, you're right because you you just mentioned that era, those that group of players and the ones that obviously went overseas and then made the Premier League and all that sort of thing. We did have great players. It's, yeah, there's no doubt about yeah. that. But yeah, I, I sort of definitely sit in the the camp of well, now I think definitely you know things are better, even though. The social media noise might say that oh you know the A League's in trouble and you know maybe yeah it is a, it is a it is a hard one because yeah you, know, you look uh, you know, I look back the Vidmars you know, I mean even even the the golden generation of Socceroos you, know, you look back to them qualifying for Germany uh, and when you look at where those players were playing and it was the top leagues in the world um, as opposed to now and. I think that unfortunately has a bit to do with us being in the Asian Confederation that, you know, Asia has opened so many doors financially for players. And unfortunately, 
I won't say unfortunately, players are always looking out to provide for their family. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's a job, um, and it's a short-term job. So you've got to you know set yourself up for you for you and your family. And you know, if you can do that in Asia and, and get some obscene money along the way, um, you know, hats off. Yeah, exactly, hundred percent. And probably before we didn't have that. The A League now is you you know you can come back here and you can you know play in a professional league and you know obviously not get as much money as in Asia but it's it's yeah. something so perhaps that sort of safety net maybe gives the impression that you know things aren't as as strong here as they used to be. But. Yeah, the the other thing as well is that I think about with the A League um, and you look back probably twenty years ago in the NSL or maybe not maybe not that much but around the golden generation again I guess. Yeah. Uh, if you were playing in Australia, it was next to impossible to get into the Socceroos. Whereas now, if you play in Australia, then you know, you're every bit of chance of making the national team as you were, you know, if you're playing in the Premier League. Yeah, right. You know, so there's that opportunity there. Now, does that potentially hinder the development of the national team? Because you know, you're applying your trade in Australia, which if you compare to leagues overseas, is probably not at the same level, not probably not, is not at the same level. So, you know, therefore you're picking players that are playing in a lower league in Australia as opposed to, you know, forcing these players to go overseas to really stretch themselves to, to become better players to compete on the world stage. Do you think that comes with like a comfort thing, comfort thing sorry, that the A-League's maybe provided where you can be 18, 19 and stay in the A-League, whereas maybe back in the NSO if you were a Harry Kuehl who I don't – or a you Viduca, know, Viduca, yeah, yeah. whereas if, if you're really good, you're going to go, okay, I want to, you know, make this be a pro and you're going to go overseas at a young age, sort of, you know, learn your trade over there. Mm. Whereas now it's like, yeah, maybe you've got that comfort sort of that you can fall back on and just be in the A-League and kind of see what happens from there, knowing that you're, yeah. you're definitely good enough to be an A-League yeah. player and a full-time I wage. think there's I think there is an element of that somewhat, um, yeah, particularly now compared to 10 years ago, 15 years ago, where as you know, 19, 20 year old, well, I look, when I came through Adelaide city, um, I was getting paid $200, $100 a week for the first two years, um, that I signed. So I was a 16 year old. Okay. 16. So I was getting something and I was happy with that. Uh, and then the second contract that I signed after two years was 200 a week. So double my wages, which I thought was great at the time. Um, and then went to Newcastle for 30,000 a year. But by that time I'd been in the league now for six years. Now, if you compare that now to a player, uh, an 18 year old who, or 16 year old that comes in and is in the league for six years, yeah, he's probably earning 150, 180,000. Yeah, um, if we yeah. take COVID out of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For sure. So, so there's a lot of money now to be made here, and and it can be a comfortable lifestyle as opposed to, you know, trying to reach that pinnacle of overseas yeah. football, cutting whether your teeth in the, Europe, yeah. whether it's you know in Holland or in Belgium or in the UK. <clears throat> Excuse me. So yeah, look, it's the, there is an element of that, but I think with Australia we need to develop the game still. So you you want these young players here, but it's. How do we make it better? How do we make it technically better? How do we make it more cutthroat so that when we get to the world stage, we've been in those 
pressure cooker uh, situations to be able to you know, cope with that at an international level. That's the $10 million, $50 million question. I was going to say, yeah, I don't get paid enough. No, no, because I was going to ask you, like, how do we do that? But, you know, (laughs) anyway, let's get back to talking about you, Um, although this is really interesting, so I think we could definitely uh, keep going. But just to go back to the decision between baseball and and soccer, did you find that when you were on the pitch that it just seemed to come a bit more natural to you and then all of a sudden you had this inherent ability or you realised you had this this ability to be able to go out there and – and, you know, as I said, make a debut at, at 16. Yeah, look, I was much better soccer player than I was baseballer. Um, so it was, it, I mean, it wasn't that hard of a decision, you know, if it was soccer or baseball, it was it was always going to be soccer. Um, but I don't know, I didn't, I think growing up, I realised that I was quick um, and that's just what I relied on. Um, and probably to my detriment as a footballer developing, you know, when I got a bit older, uh, I'd relied so much on that that you know probably hadn't focused enough on the the technical aspect of my game, uh, which you know, essentially can mean the difference between you know having that career overseas or you know having a career in Australia. Which you know yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with that. But did I reach the the potential that I you know could have if I'd like really, really focused on on myself and my development as a player. I don't think I did, but you know, it's one of those things. As a young player, you come through, you get in games because you're quick and you know you you're doing some stuff well. So you know, you rest on that. And you know, I think as you get older, you start to become a bit smarter and and whatnot naturally. But yeah, it's uh, one of those things, I guess. Um, the, did it- were you always a winger? No, I, I, I'm just trying to think. I started, uh, started up front you know, with with Adelaide City. Then I started playing as a right back with the with the national, uh, with the Joeys. I was right back, and then with Adelaide City, I started playing as a right back as well. Probably not great because I was a terrible defender. Uh, and there's there's even some, even some stuff going around on on YouTube, the old NSL games, and I've watched a couple where. You know, we've played Wollongong Wolves and, you know, I've come on as a fullback marking Scott Chipperfield and he scored a first half hat trick. And I'm like, yes, guys, get me out of here, you know, put me up top where I can do the least amount of damage. <laughs> so, um, no, it was, um, but predominantly, yeah, a majority of my career up front, yeah. Yeah, okay. Was it more like a, a right wing back role or like out and out fullback? No, no, out and out fullback. I remember even when I went to Newcastle, they they started me off as a, as a right back there coach I had at the time, Lee Sterry, it was, you know, our tactics were to get the ball to the fullback and then just ball on the channel. So, you know, the good thing about that and me playing right back was that, you know, pace to, to overlap. But one thing I'm sure you will remember about my game was that maybe the endurance wasn't really quite there. So, yeah, you know, you'd have a couple of spurts up and down and then you gassed. Um, but I always put that down to me being a power athlete, you know, like yeah. the like the hundred meter sprinters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just yeah. go full tilt. Just go, um, yeah. Just burning all your energy systems at once. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, I can relate at a very amateur level. But yeah, it's just the quick <laughs> short sprints, and yeah. I'll, I'll I sit up top more, and yeah, I, to go up and back all day. I always hard. I always wonder if I'd played AFL yeah. if I would have been yeah, better because of interchange. I could just go on and burn for five minutes, come off, have a breather, and then go out and just you know. 
rinse and repeat. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, you say you, we might remember that about your injury. I remember you running out games though. You played, you played yeah. full ninety minutes most and of the time. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes yeah. you'd even sometimes go up front as well, wouldn't you? Yeah. I'm pretty yeah. Sure. Towards, yeah. Towards the end of your career, especially here at Adelaide, I think I remember. Yeah. yeah. No. Look. Um. I mean, here at Adelaide, I, I spent all my time as a winger, but um, yeah, there was games as well where I played as a striker. Yeah. You know, Asian Champions League. Um, Dong Tam Long Am striker, yep. you know, had yep. someone had to fill the void and yeah, yeah, you know, and just bang casual three in. That's it. Yeah, that's it. As you do. Pantelis has got it behind. Travis Dodd trying to make a run into the box, and he did well. Travis Dodd, very well indeed. And Adelaide United open the scoring. The man who scored on match day two has done it again. Geraldi slipping it through to Dodd. They open right up, and Travis Dodd. Well, it wasn't the best shot in the world, but he's got a double tonight. The number 11 for Dong Tam in the book as well for protesting against the decision. Here's Travis Dodd on a hat-trick. And mark it down, Travis Dodd. Route one from the keeper, Robbie Bayes gets the assist. But what a night for Travis Dodd. Some wild celebrations as well, I remember. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I know, I'll tell you what, there, was some, there were some terrible celebrations. When I look at those things now, I'm like, what were we actually thinking? You know, it was just, were they in-house jokes though? So, they were, yeah, yeah. We were just watching movies, yeah, because you're traveling so much, you just watch heaps of movies. And, you know, that was from, a, I can't remember what the movie it was, a dance movie, and it was like dance moves, and I can't dance to save my life. Uh, as you can probably tell from those celebrations, they yeah. were minging. But, yeah, you know, you in the heat of the moment, you think, no, this is going to look good. Yeah. And then you watch it back and you're like, cringe. Well, there's a couple cringe. I remember now that you bring it up. There was the uh, the the shoulder shrug and you're just like, you know, doing yeah, these yeah. ones. Yeah, that, that one's for, for some mates um, that I had here and they call it the prawn wrap. Okay. Um, and I couldn't tell you why, but that that's what it was. It was the shoulder shrug. So it would, yeah. I remember going running into that corner, yeah. which is where – they all stood at the time and uh, and give them the celebration. So, yeah, when I see those guys, they still talk about it now. So, yeah, oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Lasting memories. And there was another one. It was kind of like I don't know if it was uh, around Halloween or something. I don't know. It was like you kind of did a, 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 uh, a scared thing. Yeah, that was, the for, that was for Greg Owens, I reckon. Okay. Um, I reckon that was out of the movie. That was out of a movie. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely been some horrendous yeah. ones there. I mean, even Parramatta. I don't know, and I don't know why I did it, but you know, I scored a couple of goals there, and you know, I was getting the flag out and doing weightlifting moves. I'm like, just what are you doing? Yeah, um, but at the same time, though, do you I, do you feel now that the game is lacking good celebrations? It was lacking good celebrations back then, by the looks <laughs> Maybe, of it as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you have been fu- having fun, being creative, you know. Yeah, yeah. no, that's yeah. it. Um, yeah, it's it's hard because you don't know what you can do now with the referees. It's it's just stupid, you know. Even you know, with the top on, pulling the top over your head, still getting booked yeah. for, for stuff or like, like high five in the crowds a yellow card or something because inter- you can't interact with the crowd anymore if you score. Is that oh, right? Oh yeah, and probably or, with COVID as well. Yeah, it's like yeah. you got to put a mask on before you uh, high five the crowd. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah, so it's becoming. I mean, that's going somewhat sterile um, there, but you know, Certainly, the the elaborate, more elaborate celebrations have have gone out the window for sure. Yeah, you've given me an idea, and I don't think you want me to follow through on it. But maybe we put it put together a compilation of some of your greatest celebrations. Yeah, and throw that out on social. Oh, that'll be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I bet you'll love it. Yeah, there was the phone one. That there was. I was going to ask you about this later on, but yeah, it was actually. It, I don't know whether we should save it for our our last. 
we'll, we we'll do wrap that up with that. Yeah, we'll that do that. I jumped the gun. No, 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 you're fine because I want to ask you about that and I have I suspect that you won't be able to tell us about it. But <laughs> from what I've heard. <laughs> but anyway, we'll, so from Parramatta, let's go back to Parramatta. So, yes, Parramatta, you uh, finished the NSL season there. Then we have a huge gap between NSL and A-League. So what were you thinking then? Were you Because I know you went overseas, but was it were you like, well, I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen here. Um, I, I can't even remember the timeline of when they announced the A-League and I think it was well after the NSL. Yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 So with that uncertainty, yeah, you headed overseas. So was, was that just out of necessity? You're like, okay, well, there's nothing I can do here. I know some guys went and played locally in, in yeah. MPL or whatever it was called yeah. then, but there, yeah, then you had to headed to Greece yep. and, and Malaysia. Uh, Malaysia, Malaysia first, yeah. Malaysia first. So, I mean, that the way that all came about was happening, sort of happening towards the end of the NSL season. So Ante Milicic, who oh, – that, that Parramatta team, by the way, was an absolute jet team. I don't know how we didn't win the the league that year, but you know, lost in the final in extra time, golden goal to Perth. But, yeah, we had Ante Milicic, Simon Colosimo, Andre Gumprecht, who was at um, – Yeah, yeah the, Central Coast. Central Coast, Central Coast, yeah, Coast yeah. Fernando Reck, yeah. um, Daniel Beltrami, Lucas was there, Ahmed Elric. Like, it was a team that just couldn't be beaten and – everything but anyway i digress so ante was meant to be going to johor fc so johor have two teams uh johor fc and johor fa so he was meant to be going to johor fc um organizing this to go after the uh, after the season finished and somehow johor fa found out about it and they wanted him to go there and then there was a bit of a dispute about you know where he was going to go so he said stuff i'm going to go to pahang and coach said, you know, have you got another player? So that was me. Uh, so I went over there and, you know, that was, that was a bit of a culture shock. First time, you know, apart from going, traveling with national team overseas, um, but the first time playing in a, uh, another league abroad. So trainings were, were hard because, you know, we were starting out. I don't know, probably 6.30, 7 o'clock because of the weather. So we train really early because of humidity, home by, you know, 9 o'clock every day in the morning. Um, I had my wife and my son there. He was probably two and a half or three at the time. So, you know, finish at 9 o'clock every day. We never did double sessions, never gym sessions. The coach was an Aussie, um, you know, so just go out and do stuff like a tourist and then we met up with some expats and you know, before you know it, you're just sitting at resorts every other day drinking beers and, you know, that didn't... Sounds terrible. No, it was <laughs> it was terrible f- yeah. uh, from a football perspective. Yeah, yeah. You know, but that experience, it was new to me. You know, my first game, we've travelled away. It was a cup game. We've arrived at the hotel and go to get my key, walk into the room and the coach is there I'm like, what the hell is going on here the coach had put had put me in the room with him I'm like, what is going on here they're like this isn't this is not going to work you know how you're meant to build rapport with new teammates you know that already don't like you because you're a foreigner and you're coming in and you know taking one of their mate spots or even their spot so yeah it was difficult from from day one um there and then i think i played about seven or eight games 
uh, I went over there as a striker and he's played me, you know, the first cup game I played as a striker. Then I went into the midfield and then I ended that game at centre-back um, in one game. So after about seven, eight weeks, um, coach pulls me aside. He goes, look, you know, I just don't think don't think you're, you're skillful enough to play up front. I don't think you're quick enough to play in the midfield. Your best position is as a stopper because you can jump high. <clears throat> and I said, okay. So I think we might just call it quits. Um, and you know, I left Malaysia not long after that. So I was there about, I don't know, not even two months. Yeah. Um, and yeah, at the time, the league wasn't great anyway. Had a couple niggles. So came home. Uh, and then, you know, again, nothing, had nothing. So uh, didn't have an agent at the time. So I just started emailing a bunch of agents saying, you know, looking for an opportunity to go overseas. An agent did get back to me. Um, he was in Greece at the time, said, you know, I think Simon Colossimo had just been there. Uh, said, you know, come here for a trial. If you can pay your own way, come over. So I jumped on a flight, went over there. Um, I was probably six or seven kilos overweight because of all the resort lifestyle that I was enjoying in Malaysia. Uh, had probably a three or four day trial and somehow jagged the contract. Now, you know, part of the reason for me going to Greece was that and signing for that club was that they were in the first division. They were playing um, UEFA Cup qualifiers. So I saw it as a stepping stone to you know, m making the next step. You know, when you talk about the money, even now, um, I'd signed for 30,000 euros, you know, a year, not a month. Um, so, yeah, again, the money wasn't great, but yeah, I saw it as an opportunity to, to get in the door. Um, I guess at that time, that's when the problem started, you know, I signed a contract and then. Um, Sounds like the start of a movie. That's <laughs> when the problem started. Yeah, yeah. So I signed my contract and then literally the day after, we've gone to Italy for a two-week camp because of the Summer Olympics, Athens Olympics. So there are no pitches available. Oh, you've signed, yeah. Oh, and we're still, we still owed money from two years ago. And I'm like, oh, great. So went downhill from the start pretty much yeah. um, before I'd even played a game. Um, yeah. Uh, wasn't getting paid. Um, we have we got time for me to go through this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, go okay. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> so we had this two week camp in Italy, um, which was which was all good, I guess. Uh, my wife was and son was still in in Adelaide uh, at the time. I've got to move my leg. I'm cramping up here. Oh, getting, sorry. Getting anxious yeah. about this one. <laughs> no, so uh, wife and son, and, and my, my wife was pregnant with my daughter at that time. Um, heavily pregnant. So we spent two weeks in Italy and there'd been probably four new players, foreigners that had signed at the club that year. So we arrived back at the stadium at like 10 o'clock at night and the, the club basically go, all right, see you later. See you tomorrow. What do you mean? See you tomorrow. Where are we staying tonight? Because we've just come back from a two week camp and obviously nobody's got any accommodation. So they find this somebody at the he the club's got uh, a holiday house, so they put us in a cab and ship us off. Like it's probably about forty five minutes away. I don't know from here to Victor Harbour, something like that. And we're like, what the hell is going on? We've got no idea where we are. 
So we get to this place and it's all dusty, whatever, we spend the night there. The next day we've got to get back. So we're catching buses, public transport with our suitcases back to the stadium. So you know, from there, trying to find accommodation, you know, one of the other guys who's older than me, he was married, he had his wife and son already there, he was a baby. So he just found literally the first thing he could and and I just stayed with him for a few nights. Um, I ended up, you know, because of the Olympics, everything was so much more expensive, accommodation and everything. So, you know, I got this nice place, nice area, but I was paying through the nose. Um, ended up taking her and then, you know, a week later my wife and son came over. So then as it turned out, you know, um, She'd been in Greece for about two weeks and unfortunately her dad passed away pretty suddenly. So, yeah, she wanted to obviously go back and I wanted to go back as well. Uh, you know, the club had said to me, no, we want you to play two games first before you can go. I'm like, but my father-in-law has just passed away. No, we need you to stay. So, you know, again, looking back at that, I should have just left at that point in time and just said, stuff, I'm going. But... You know, my wife went back with my son, stayed and played two games and then went back to Australia. So came back to Australia for about a week. Um, you know, we had the funeral and then went back. Um, my dad ended up coming back to Greece with us, not on the same flights, but he was en route to Germany to meet a long lost relative you know, to bring him back to Australia. So... My dad comes to, to Greece and you know, he's on holiday, so he's enjoying the local pubs, yep. as you do. Um, he struck up a good relationship with uh, with the bartender and um, the bartender's girlfriend. And, you know, so I was going down to the pub with him every day, which was great. But on the, the football side, it was just deteriorating. You know? I mean, the great thing was that I got to play UEFA Cup you know, we qualified for UEFA Cup. Um, we played Udinese in the qualifiers, scored in that first match. Uh, we won 3-1, I think it was, and then we lost 1-0 away. So we qualified. The biggest disappointment with that was that it was the first year that they'd changed it to five teams in a group and it wasn't home and away. Um, you just played four games, home or away. You just So we had, uh, we had Newcastle in our group. We had... A uh, team from France, so show team from Georgia, uh, Sporting Lisbon, and us. So um, I got to play against Newcastle and Sporting Lisbon. Um, Sporting Lisbon off the bench started against Newcastle, which was awesome. That was uh, that was amazing. Uh, but was that, was that home or away? That was home, and yeah. I was spewing about that. Yeah. Spewing <laughs> would have loved to have gone because yeah. at that point I'd never been to the UK either, yeah. and. Even to this day, I've only done a stopover. But anyway, the the UEFA Cup matches is probably what um, yeah was a straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, because I wasn't getting paid at the time. Um, my wife had already gone back with my son to have the baby at home because hospital system was a rot. You know, you had to bribe doctors to to get anything done. So I was there by myself. Um, we played. I'd been out of the team, so as happens in Greece, um, the coach got sacked pretty early on in, in the, the piece, uh, who was a foreigner. 
uh, and then they brought in a local coach who was playing a majority of the locals. And then we play a UF Cup match against this Georgian team. And all of a sudden, all these players that hadn't been playing are now playing, starting this game, of which I was one. So, yeah, they've come in, you know, starting, president's done a speech, all the rest of it, and we go out and play. And it's like nobody's trying here. So what's going on, guys? I'm playing right back. The striker probably didn't move out of the centre circle the first half. Um, you know, we come off getting booed and you know, flares on the pitch, whatever. I get subbed five minutes into the second half. I was fuming. We were 1-0 down. The guy that came on was a striker, ended up scoring a hat-trick, and we won the game 5-2. But you know what I'd found out you know, after that was that the match was fixed, um, allegedly. Uh, so once I'd heard that, I thought, nah, done here. Came back to Australia. And just to finish this story off, um, I'd signed for Adelaide United at the time, and it was when uh, Socceroos were playing Uruguay in the return leg when we qualified for the World Cup. UEFA actually sent an investigator to Australia um, right. I was going to ask if there was any repercussions. From yeah, that. so they, they sent uh, an investigator to Australia. Um, I had to fly over to Sydney with Michael Petrillo at the time uh, and oh, say it was an interview slash interrogation where you know, the, the guy was saying that I was involved in match fixing, I was involved in the goals that we conceded, the goal that we conceded in the first half. I said, no, happy for you to get the video out right now. And you can see as a right back, I'm putting pressure on the winger. The two stoppers basically stopped to let the striker go through and score. Um, at the end of the, the end of that interview, um, the, the guy from UEFA said, look, don't believe you, but um, I can't actually prove anything. I reserve the right to, to prosecute you if I get further information, you know, all that kind of stuff. Turns out they were trying to get um, our president and I think it was our vice captain at the time who's from the Czech Republic. Yeah, a couple of things with that. The president was allegedly involved with the Greek mafia, although I have no way to confirm that, um, but allegedly. Uh, so that's such a scary thought that, you know, that that's happening. Um, probably the thing that saved me um, during that time was – yeah, the fact that the investigator said that there were multiple bets of half-time, full-time correct score, so losing 1-0, winning 5-2, which is highly irregular, but coming from all around Europe where all the foreigners were based. And I said, well, how many of those bets originated from Australia, of which there were none? So I said, well, you know, I haven't been getting paid. I left because I wasn't getting paid if... I knew about this fix. I would have been telling everyone I knew back in Australia to get on this to make some money. But, yeah, it didn't happen. So, yeah, I think that was the, the saving grace. Yeah. Um, yeah, I read some stuff, you know, months or years later that apparently the two presidents of the, the club had come together and stood to, to make about 20 million euros um, from, from the betting. So, yeah, interesting times. 100%. Yeah, it's insane. I wasn't expecting that story today. That's crazy. So do you, do you look back on that as well and think that, thank God I was subbed as well? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, because I think even the striker, when he came on, he was a throw in on the halfway line and he basically dribbled six players and scored. So I was like, is this, like, what's going on here? Um, and then it just all became too easy. But yeah, I'll, I think back now and you know, yeah, very, very happy that I wasn't involved any further in that game. Um, yeah, the disappointing thing about Greece in general was that you know, just the circumstances that happened because I loved Greece as a country. I loved the lifestyle, would have loved to have been able to stay um, and try and stick it out. But financially, it was, I couldn't do it. Um, my wife had come back to Australia for the birth of our second child. So, yeah, just the timing was all wrong. Um, and it's, it's one of those things, I guess. Um, you know, I look back at regrets. I don't really, you know, have any regret. My Probably the biggest, it's a lie, biggest regret I do have um, was when I was, probably 17, 17, 18. I'd just been, um, you know, away with the young Socceroos or the, the um, Joeys at the time. Um, my dad at the time had a connection to the late Charles Perkins. And, you know, as a soccer player, he, he played overseas and played overseas with Graeme Souness, who at the time was coaching at Benfica. So Charlie Perkins had spoken to soonest and said, oh, you know, there's this young Aussie lad, you know, can come over and have a trial. My dad, I've come back. My dad said, look, you can go to Benfica for a trial. And I'm like, no, nah, don't want to go. Wow. I, I refuse to go. Yeah. Because, uh, the timing of it was going to be something like I'd come back from, come back from national team, yeah. go for a trial, come back, go, go away again for national team. And, yeah, at the time I had a girlfriend and just think to myself, wow, <laughs> wow, what, yeah. you know, what may have been. Yeah. Um, yeah, me and Cristiano could have been best mates. Yeah. For a while. <laughs> but, you know, not uh, to be. Yeah, we'll never know. Yeah. Oh, damn. That still, though, I mean, okay, the, you said the timing is twice you mentioned timing there, but thankfully for us at Adelaide United, the timing worked out that you came to us and. I'm going to – that's a hell of a segue. Thank you very much. Um, maybe not. But, yeah, so then you, you come back to to Australia. So where were you at then? I, I guess you're obviously relieved to get out of Greece, but heading into a new league, probably not knowing exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, there's a lot of talk that it's going to be this new big thing, but we have no way of knowing. Look, it was exciting. It was very exciting because you know, all of a sudden you've got people putting money into the game. You know, you've got coverage on – pay TV and, you know, they're flying players in from around the country to do commercials and, you know, I was part of that first one, you know, kicking paintballs, dribbling balls down the street. Some say that's still like the best one as yeah, well. Like, yeah, so, you know, those, that was exciting times, there's no doubt about it um, and and it was great. I mean, at the time, I was, I was happy to be out of Greece. Um, you know, I thought it was more of a... Uh, speed bump along the way that, you know, come back to Australia, try and do well in the professional league here and then, you know, potentially go overseas again. You know, as it turned out, it didn't work out that way, but had unbelievable years at the club and, you know, it's, it's easy to say, you know, oh, I wish I could have done this, wish I could have done that, I should have done this, should have done that. But when I look back at my career, 
I'm extremely grateful for the for the opportunities that I did have because it is a privilege to be able to play at a professional level, regardless whether it's here or overseas, you know, to be able to do something that you love every single day for, you know, 16 odd years. Um, you know, not a lot of people can say that they've had that opportunity. So, you know, you, you are extremely grateful for the opportunities and, you know, to be able to play for six years for Adelaide United and, and, be a captain here as well um yeah it was fantastic you know in front of my hometown um i guess you always think about the ones that got away which were the grand finals but you know part and parcel of football that first couple of seasons here were fairly successful albeit yes we didn't win an a-league championship but won the premiership you know won a couple of pre-season cups like what was it about the those first couple of years those squads that seemed to be really together really Strong. Yeah, I think yeah, that's the words you use there together. Uh, it was the camaraderie. Uh, you know, Cozzy, as the coach at the time, uh, he was able to bring the team together. Um, I think Cozzy was a, a great motivator. He was able to get the players to play for each other uh, and and for the shirt. And, you know, I think that's what we did really well. Um, you know, it was it was a team of fighters uh, and, and we just fought. Week in, week out. Um, yeah, even even then, I look back at myself, and you know, you know, technically, I was a better player than than I was, you know, five years earlier than that. But you know, we, no, well, I wasn't, a, I guess, a technically gifted player in general. I, I don't think so. Um, you know, to be involved with that team, you know, Fernando Rec, uh, Schenken Q, um, yeah, we had some great players at the, the time, and obviously. You know, Carl Villa, Ross Aloisi, yeah. Richie Allegic, Ange, Ange yeah. and Mickey. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a it was a great team. Uh, it was a very experienced team. Um, and that's probably, you know, another big reason why we did so well is because we had so much experience um to, to in the team to be able to lead and drive drive the boys. So yeah, it was um some good very good times. Definitely, yeah. A lot of great results and yeah, classic matches from that era. Yeah, it was it was it was great. Even though you know the grand finals didn't work out the way we all hoped, and I am going to have to ask you about it because I don't want to keep dragging out bad memories. But when you look back on those grand finals now, what what are you left with? What what do you think about? I think about Cosy choking Kevin Musket. <laughs> <laughs> that was <laughs> a huge that moment. Yeah, yeah. that wasn't the grand final. Um, no, look, it's. I mean, the results obviously stick out. That six nil, um, it does stick out. Yeah, you, know, you think about the circumstances behind that. Um, I think Greg Owens played at, at left fullback that game, um, which was a bit out of the blue because he was in the stands from the week before because um, he'd been flipping the the referee off after we'd won on penalties against. Yeah, and I asked him about that <laughs> in a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so you know there was that. Um, you know, unfortunately, Ross had got sent off in the first half, and I don't know everything. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong, yeah. uh, and we were just helpless, I guess, to to control anything with that one. Um, I look back at the the other grand finals that that I played in and lost in. Probably the second one hurt more. Yeah, I was just about to uh, ask. I'm assuming that hurt more, given how it kind of played out. I mean, probably yeah. 07, you kind of just hold your hands up. Six yeah. Nil. Oh, yeah. Um, by yeah. by half time, it's almost like yeah. oh, it's just damage control. Let's not get embarrassed, and that 
didn't happen. So, uh, you know, you know that the game's a foregone conclusion at halftime. Uh, the second one. Yeah, that was you know, frustrating. <laughs> it is. You know, the, the red card again for Cristiano so early on, it was just rubbish. Um, but to hold on for as long as we did, and and we probably had chances to win that game. I think I had a chance as well um, to to concede and lose one nil that one. That was tough. Um, yeah, that's that's one that I think really got away from us, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Did you get a sense of that that kind of that East Coast bias? Because I think that's how us as fans back then always used to feel like the the rubber the green would always fall to those the Eastern states those yeah, teams. I mean, like, potentially. I mean, I look. I look at it and you know, sometimes think, you know, sometimes we've only got ourselves to blame because uh, it was, a, was the first one, the the prelim. Um, we were probably three or four minutes from hosting a home grand final um, and we conceded a shitty goal in the last minute. Um, James Robinson, like a loopy header over the back post of Beltrami, who just, you know, standing there hoping that it was going over which it didn't but yeah that could have changed the the path for Adelaide United you know from the beginning because all of a sudden if we're playing a home final who knows you know who knows but it's it's all what ifs and and maybes but you know what if we played a home final what if you know that changes a whole different set of circumstances that we go on and win and then that creates something from from day one, you know, but you know, it didn't happen and we had ourselves to blame for that. The the second one with Cristiano, I can't remember who the referee was, but was uh, Matthew Breeze. Yeah. I don't think it's so much East Coast. I think it's against me personally, because you know, I also had the experience when I was at Perth and played in Brisbane for the final with Barisha, mm. who for as great a player he was, is still playing he took a dive he did and where was VAR then but anyway so it's all the games that I've all the finals that I've played yeah, in and Parramatta too sorry I don't mean to keep bringing them Parramatta up. Yeah, yeah no the gods the gods were against me then because it was just torrential rain yeah. that day um, uh, and then the Champions League final so yeah, yeah I mean is it a personal affront to you it is think? Yeah, yeah finals yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, even at a local level when I when I finished up and played at Metro we made a final um, cup final was at Highmarsh. I said to joking around, I said, my best mate was a coach. I said, Are you sure you want to play me in this game? Because <laughs> I've never won a final. Yeah, so, are you sure? You know, I'll understand if you put me out of the squad, but that was the first one I won, so it was pretty good. It, yeah, well, there you go. It is great that you have a sense of humor about it, but like, do these things do you still think about these things, or is it only in this setting where we ask you about it? No, no. Look, I I do think about it, you know, particularly you know, during the season when it's when the season's on, and you know, particularly around finals times. Yeah. You know, you look at players that have played, you know, a season, or young players that are playing one or two games, and they've won a grand final and they've won a championship. And I'm like, okay, played almost 400 games in my career, five finals, you know, in A League, NSL, and Champions League, and just nothing. Nothing, um, you know, close, but no cigar. Um, you, know, you look at uh, like Michael Theo, the keeper at Brisbane, who's played in five and won five, yeah. you know, played in five and lost five. So, you know, Scott Jamison, who I'm still really close with, um, you know, he was about to create history between us. Yeah. Um, we did create history between us, me and him, with 
last year's grand final because if he'd lost, he would have lost six. Right. That would have been his sixth loss, but now he's five and one. So he's got he's got that one got that one over me. Yeah, um, I was, was going to say you you are in the company of some great athletes in multiple sports where they they are seen as some of the greatest of all time and never won a championship. So it's a, it's a shallow. Shallow relief, I guess. Um, yeah, but even I even think about it when you're know, in the NPL now in in the local league. Yeah, you know, I look at last season with Campbelltown. Ian Fife came in uh, as a coach. He was assistant coach. Came in as a head coach with seven games to go or whatever it was, and went on to win a final uh, as a coach in his first year. And then yeah, you just you just think yeah, I don't know. Some what, people, what is it? Yeah, what is it about these yeah. these people that are you know yeah. right place right time you know don't get me wrong he's a good coach because he's he's up there again this year but yeah you know, i just i just want to go and rub them and get some of yeah. what they've got <laughs> well that's part of it though isn't it i mean it's a bit of fortune a bit of luck and you know and the ball bounces the right way and yeah just with the asian champions league i guess what's the mindset going into that obviously it's against two legs and do, is it kind of as a team you acknowledge that Gamba technically, technically better, you know, more gifted, better no, resourced? I, or? I actually thought we were much better technically. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, look, they were an absolute gun team. Yeah, they were yeah. a gun. Um, you know, players they had, national team players. Um, Endo was at his, I reckon he had his peak at that time. Um, and the the way that we got there was just against the odds. Yeah, every it was a final time. just getting there. Wasn't every it? single like, time, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, the the quarterfinal, round of sixteen, quarterfinal, semifinal was just yeah, one yeah. thing after another. I mean, look, if if that had happened now, uh, I think we would have been better looked after by the league. Um, at the time, like Champions League really meant nothing because we got no concessions whatsoever. We played Bunyad Core away on a Wednesday. We fly out Thursday, arrive Friday, and play Saturday at High Marsh against Perth. Yeah. You know, there's no chance that they would allow a team to do that now. None. Games are getting postponed or whatever. They're getting moved to accommodate players to to travel to recover and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we're in a unique situation where we were up against the odds against everyone. Maybe if it was a East Coast team, they would have got Maybe. the bias. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, coming into that game against Gamba, we think we're a chance, of course, because of what we've come yeah, up yeah. against, you know, with all the games before. Um, you know, the unfortunate thing was that Eugene was going in the game with an injury cloud. Um, you know, he could struggle to kick the ball, he was struggling to kick the ball. Uh, and it just wasn't great from, from, from the start, unfortunately. And, Three uh, 0 in the first leg. Um, whilst it wasn't dead and buried, uh, it was always going to be hard. But yeah, you know, coming out to High Marsh um, at the time, packed, packed uh, stadium, and I just remember that first you know five or so minutes of the game. It was just like a million miles an hour, just push, push, press, press, trying to get an early goal. Well, this is certainly the biggest game of club football ever played at Hindmarsh Stadium. It's a full house. It's sold out within one hour of going on sale. Gamba Osaka, Adelaide United, the final of the AFC Champions League for 2008. The Reds get the ball rolling on their road to redemption. 
Can they do it? Yes, we can, say the fans of Adelaide United. And then we conceded and then we're done. Yeah, so, I know. It's kind of deflated. Was, I remember yeah. that because – and I've said to others, like I was in the crowd for – I was at every home game and the crowd just got bigger and bigger each game yeah. as we progressed. And then that, it was – the atmosphere before the game was – even though we were 3-0 down, like it was, you know, over the two legs, it was electric in the crowd. Yeah. First goal went in, a few people started leaving. I remember my mates like, support your team. Where are you going? Bandwagon. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, it was, it was still a great night. And I think all of us as fans look back at that run – yeah, it didn't end the way we hoped, but it wasn't like the other grand finals. It still no. felt like we had won in some yeah. way. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. And, and what was most incredible about that season, I think I remember speaking to Eugene about this, it was that it didn't hinder all that travel, like you mentioned, didn't hinder your league form. You still end up coming yeah. second, I think. And I don't think you appreciate how good you guys did with a smaller yeah. squad. When, for instance, like you look at the Wanderers when they ended up winning it, I think their league form suffered for. Yeah, the, the following season they come bottom or second to bottom. Whereas you guys were like competitive, and you had the Club World Cup yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was a phenomenal effort from from the squad, um, and and the club, I guess. Yeah, yeah, to be fair, because you know when you're looking at you know what what you get from um, from the AFC to travel and, and that kind of stuff, and and what the club and the owners at the time did for us as players to try and you know, make it a bit easier, which was you know, during that semi-final period was business class flights, you know, and that's, that's a huge cost and a burden on the club when, you know, you're not getting that much money to, to participate in the league. So, you know, for them to, to put their hand in the pocket and, and do that, um, it was, it was a huge gesture um, and showed how much they wanted us to, to try and progress and to win as well. But then you look at the resilience and the resolve of the playing group. You know, when you talk about how well we did you know, coming back from Bunyard Core on Friday, playing on Saturday, and still winning, yeah. you know, like that's that's crazy. You know, if you're a bookie, you'd have you know you'd have the house on Perth to win that game. You know, just travelled halfway across the world with yeah. the flight plan that we ended up having. Yeah, you were um, over the shop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was a great experience to, and great to be involved with that bunch yeah. of players. In, in this series, we probably focused a lot on talking about 2008 and not so much on some of the other Champions League campaigns, which we did fairly well. Mm. So do you think that that experience in 2008 just sort of helped set us up for those subsequent Champions League runs? Yes, we didn't go as deep, but we seem to always perform yeah. or think, do very well. I think the... Making it to the final, I think, gives players belief, and and actually, it's more of a thing like, okay, we're coming up against teams with you know multi million dollar budgets, you know, where they park in their jets when they come to Australia and all that kind of stuff. But you know, what they don't have is that that spirit, I guess, that that we showed throughout that campaign campaign to to win, and I think it's it's about belief and realizing, okay. We may not be the better team technically, but we'll fight more. We'll we'll show more determination, and and that's how we'll win. And sometimes that's all you need to 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 get through. Of course, you've got to have some technical ability and and something. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there in the first place. But you know, it's that uh, it's that that one percent of that two percent of that yeah. you know from from each player that gets teams over the line. Yeah, that's right. Well, from from there, let's talk about the Rooney Coolen era. So that's great. <laughs> what I apologize, but we it started really well. Like it, it felt like it did as a fan. I think we 
you know, playing we some free flowing football, scoring a lot of goals. I exactly, eight one against North Queensland under him. You know, so why why did do you think it started so well and then ultimately ended so badly? Look, so for me uh, coming in, I was injured when he came in. Um, you know, Phil Stubbins, I think did preseason that year because uh, coach hadn't been appointed or he hadn't arrived. Um, I'd, I was having ongoing issues with my groin and osteitis. So, you know, I don't know why we didn't make a decision earlier in off season to, to get it operated on and, you know, get it fixed, but ended up missing, I don't know, about 10 weeks, I reckon it was of the season. So for me, I was behind the eight ball from day one. Um, you know, I was captain at the time. Uh, so coming back, you know, not fully fit into the last year of my contract. Um, don't know, I was always on the back foot, I guess. Um, I had a sense, and this is a personal view with, with Rini, had a sense that, that Rini didn't like the profile that I had. Um, and look, I may be completely off base, but it was just, it just seemed like he wanted to be the number one person at the club in, as in the face. And he, it was about him. Okay. that's fine. No worries. I don't, don't want to be that person. I'm not asking to be that person. I'm the captain of the club and you know, it is what it is. I don't know. Towards the back end of the season, it just started deteriorating in the change rooms. Um, you know, there was a point um, towards the back end that you know a couple of players wanted to stop training. Like they wanted the team to stop training in the lead up to finals. And you know, I look at me as a captain and you know, trying to keep the boys together, saying, "No, come on, let's just play for each other, and don't worry about Rennie, don't worry about what Rennie's doing to players because." You know, we were in contract negotiations as well. So there was me, Paul Reid, um, can't remember a couple others that, that were, but you know, it just started to spiral out of control from there. You know, players wanting to refuse to train, you know, not playing for the coach, certainly. Um, and, you know, got to a point where we're still playing and, you know, Paul Reid came to me and said, what's going on with you next season? I said, I don't know yet. And he said, well, they've just offered me the captaincy for the following year. And this is why we were still playing. Yeah. So as much as you are a professional, that kind of stuff rattles you. Um, yeah, you've, you're offering the captaincy to another player, yet you want me to go out and play for you this week in a league game or a final, whatever it might be. Yeah, I think to our credit, we did. Um, I think we beat we beat Melbourne Victory yep. in a final Adelaide Oval. Yep. Uh, it was last last round of the season. Oh, last I think, round, yeah. To, to yeah. secure maybe third or something yeah. to secure a home yeah. final. Yeah, yeah. I think I scored in that yeah. game yes. as well. Very good so, header. Yeah. Yeah. Ian Ramsey cross. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Power. I mean, looping. I was power <laughs> from from the edge of the box. Actually, Paul yeah. Reid scored as well with that game, didn't he? Was it a shot or a cross <laughs> that went through all those bodies? I think from that free kick. Do you remember? Oh that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. It was yeah. I think it surprised himself yeah. that it went through. But. See, uh, so two of the guys that ended up getting stitched up at the end of that campaign were. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it was. Um, I don't know. It was. Uh, it was a tough one. So, you know, negotiations weren't going well at that stage for me personally. Um, so I started to have a feeling that I may not be at the club the following year. You know, I we play. We got knocked out against Gold Coast. Um, Shane Smeltz um, scored a cracker uh, and then got called in like, in the 
the days after that and told that the offer that had been made to me was withdrawn and that I was free to leave the club. Um, I didn't have a contract. So that was it. That was me done and dusted. Um, you know, by that time I'd been speaking with Perth and yeah, could see the writing on the wall. So I'd, you know, I'd verbally agreed to, um, you know, to go to Perth. Um, yeah, I've, I've found out in the, well, I've been told in the, the many, many years later, um, as in got told this only a couple months ago um, from somebody who was involved at the club at the time that it actually wasn't down to Rennie not wanting me. It was down to the owners of the club not wanting me. Um, so, you know, it's one thing I've never – I always yeah, – because I always thought it was Rennie. Um, but, yeah, I got told it was was the owners. Um, so – it is, it is what it is. Um, unfortunately, football at that time I learned is a business. Um, you know, the, I guess my issue with the whole negotiation was that, you know, they initially offered me the, the same money, um, with a one year deal. Um, and as every player thinks, they always think they're worth more than that. Um, so yeah, went in for a negotiation and, and they gave me a two year offer um, on the same money, but you know, again, the, the offer that I ended up getting from Perth was, um, significantly better in the end. Um, and it didn't really matter because Adelaide withdrew their offer. Um, you know, and you talk about timing and spoke about timing before, but you know, that closed the door for the chapter with Adelaide United. But, you know, whilst, me moving interstate again was never on the cards and never thought it would happen. It was a blessing because, you know, outside of football now, you know, I've got friends there that, that we go on holidays with. They, they still come and see us in Adelaide. And, you know, so you, you look at what it gave me outside of football, um, the move, and it was friendships that, that will last a lifetime. So, you know, there's, there's a silver lining to, to everything, I guess. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like it's that old Rolling Stone song. You know, you can't always get what you want. Like yeah. it's not always about yeah. what you want. It's the opportunities yeah. you're given, I exactly. guess, and how yeah. you you make the most of those. Yeah. And I, look, I don't, I don't think there's any fans or anyone that's like necessarily happy with how that all ended. It's, it's certainly given the outcry at the time. Um, but processing that information now, <laughs> like finding that out, is are you just are you philosophical about it or are you just like yeah oh. i am i mean it is it is what it is yeah, you, you sort know. of mentioned business isn't it Fo that yeah. football's treated yeah. like yeah. a business yeah. yeah you always think or i always thought that you know football's emotional and you think that you know captain of the club you know they're gonna keep me they're gonna keep yeah. me they're gonna you'll retire you know, here yeah. But, I, yeah i genuinely thought i would retire here yeah um but when you know the decision was made and nah, that we're withdrawing your offer Okay, I've realised that football is a business. You are a commodity. You're a, you know, you're a piece of the puzzle that, you know, you're either worth something to us or you're not. And that's where it can be hard as a player, from a player fan interaction yeah. perspective, because, you know, I did get accused of leaving for money, um, and whilst I did get more money, I didn't say at the time that, you know, I was discarded. I was told that. I hadn't, I didn't have a contract, so I wasn't wanted by the club. Um, and it's, it's hard to have that relationship. This is my job. Football is my job. You know, if somebody that works, you know, at Woolworths gets offered, you know, 
50 grand more at Coles, they're going to go. They're not going to show loyalty to, you know, one employer over the other. And from a footballer perspective, that, that's, that is what it's about at the end of the day. Football employ you, the, the clubs employ you. And whilst there's certainly an emotional element from a, uh, from a fan perspective, and there is from a player perspective as well, but you know, it's not as black as black and white as you know. This is this is the club you should play for, and I support them, so you, you need to play it. Yeah, no, so, it's very hard to find one club players these days, anyway. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and for that to happen, it's obviously a mutual thing. It's not just you know all on all on the player, all on the club. Like there's yeah. Well, I look in the A League, and now there's lot the. I mean, there's been a couple, um, but Lee Broxham's by far in a way the longest serving yeah. one club player. Um, Muskie was the same, but, you know, Broxy spent basically his whole career at Melbourne Victory from start to finish. Yeah, there's not too many. You're right. There's there's hardly any. And your mate Jamo, he's moved around a little bit. Yeah, he's had more clubs than Tiger Woods. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd set you up for that one. <laughs> what, what was Thank it, you very what, much. What, what was it like actually coming back um, as a Perth player for the first time at Cooper Stadium? What was the reception like? If you Do you remember? Uh, Cause, yeah, it was pretty good, actually. Pretty good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd always had a great relationship with the fans. <laughs> and I do remember talking to Scott about this, um, you know, whether it was him being in Sydney or being in Perth. He'd be the one that would cop the shit. Um, yeah. And the fans were good to me and he would get booed or jeered or whatever it might be. But why? I said, because they hate you and they love me. It's pretty simple. So no, it's um, – no, it's – I don't know. I always, yeah, I had a great relationship and I still do now. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, and, and moving on, you know, it's, I think it's both ways, you know, and I'm not saying that Scott didn't do this, you know, when we have a bit of banter there, but, you know, it's having that respect both ways, you know, from player to fan and fan to player. Um, and, you know, maybe Scott comes across a little bit angry sometimes, <laughs> a little bit lippy sometimes when he's, when he's on the pitch and, yeah. Uh, maybe that just gives him that that reputation as a little angry man. Was he always like that? Because I remember he was obviously. You look back at the footage of him now, like when he was here. You he didn't realize so how young, young he was. So, yeah, yeah, he was super young. I think he was like twenty twenty one or something, wasn't he, or nineteen even? Yeah. Look, I mean, I think when he came to the club, yeah, he was an Ellen DeGeneres lookalike. <laughs> yeah, I've even got a photo on my phone um, of it. But yeah, I I take the piss out of him a lot. And, and say, you know, he was at Bolton, came to Adelaide, you know, came to the club that I was at, I took him under my wing, helped him develop. He went to Sydney. Um, I went to Perth, didn't work out for him. So he came to Perth. I took him back under my wing and I basically shaped his career. You know, yeah. I, yeah, I can see that. I made him the player that he is today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he can't quite see that, but you know, maybe when he retires and, you know, he starts thinking about, you know, what his football career gave him. You'll realise just how important a piece of the puzzle I was. Exactly, how much he owes Travis Dodd. Yeah. His whole career. Yeah, he well, That, that we A-League championship is yours. No, well, you know, we do joke <laughs> around. Because you know, he, I speak to him you know, still very regularly, you know, a couple of times a week. And, yeah, you know, he's getting to an age now where he's got to start thinking about career post-football. Um, yeah, you know, and he's going, What have you got for me? What, what have you he goes, What are you doing now to help me? Yeah. Uh, when I finish football, I said, And you can come and do what I'm doing, that's that's fine. He goes, Yeah, but I'm shit with numbers, don't worry about it. And he always says, Goes, What's yours is mine. 
And I, I did say to him, because I went over for the grand final, I said, yeah, you might have won it, but remember what's yours is mine as well. Yeah, and I'll get a piece of that cake as well, the the grand final. So yeah, it's um yeah, we have a great relationship and and yeah, I was super happy for him when he won it and yeah, just as I was when when Adelaide won it here, um, you know, get to the point where yeah, you you would love to have been part of it, but you feel like you you still are. You went away, you've come back, you've you've been involved at the club a little bit as well, obviously in W League and then even in, in helping us last year form sort of like, I guess, the future direction of the club as well. So you're certainly still part of the fabric here. Absolutely. So let's just kind of – we've gone way over time and I, <laughs> I apologise, but we've got a little bit more um, just to go. But you obviously now you're, you're, you're coaching at Croydon. You've been involved at Metro. You said when I think I, – I found a quote last night that you said when you left that you probably would like to come back to Adelaide at some point but not in a coaching capacity and maybe that meant Adelaide United specifically but now you are coaching so mm. what changed when i when i was playing professionally coaching was the last thing i ever wanted to do I just didn't didn't appeal to me at all i looked at you know my involvement in football post playing and I always thought it would be an administrative type role, you know, whether it was, you know, as a football director or as um, you know, CEO, GM, whatever, you know. But the the thing to that was, you know, you need to go out and get experience, you know, life experiences. All I've done is played football, you know, didn't you know, understand the mechanics of how business worked, um, you know, in the background. So, you know, you have to go out and do that. The flip side to that is when you're not involved in football anymore, it's hard because, you know, you do it for 16 years. So how can you be involved, you know, at a local level without playing? Um, you know, not really interested in getting into an administrative role at that level. So coaching was the next best thing um, to, to have that opportunity to be involved in the change rooms. But it's still, it's completely different because, you know, your team – your immediate team is now your assistant coaches, your team managers, and it's completely different to a change room environment of you know twenty mates, you know that you, know, you can have that banter with and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, started off as assistant coach in in Perth, did that for a year. I didn't enjoy it to be honest. I didn't enjoy it at all. Came back to Adelaide. Um, my mate, um, good mate Robbie Saraceno, was assistant coach at Metro. He said, "What are you doing? Just come out and play." I said. Can't play, man. I've, I haven't played for so long. He goes, just come and do preseason. I said, look, if I can get through a month of preseason, then I'll play. I limped through a month of preseason and ended up playing. Did my knee in the last game of the season again. So I was cursing everybody, particularly when I said I was already going to retire from playing and get back into coaching. Um, but yeah, that's what happened. So, you know, then. Robbie Saraceno was the head coach of Metro and probably, if I'm being honest, the only reason I did get involved with, with coaching at the time was because Robbie was the head coach and I just had a you know, a really, really good relationship. So it was, for me, at that point, that was like just going and being with my mate, hanging out with my mate for you know, three nights a week and on the weekend. So, you know, that was great. Um, went and did my coaching course after that, my B licence and then got a bit more perspective on coaching, a um, bit more of an idea, I guess. And then I 
you know, four years of being an assistant coach, I thought, well, maybe I can coach. Maybe I, I do want to coach. So, you know, this year have given it a crack and my God, it's been hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how have you found that though? Because you've, you've certainly turned things around the last, what, two or three months. Yeah. Yeah. Last couple, last six weeks has been good. Um, look, it's difficult circumstances for us at Croydon this year. Uh, we don't have a home ground. Yeah, we train at John Hart Reserve on a grass pitch that's bumpy as all hell. Yeah, we've got the 18s and reserves that train before us. So, yeah, look, it's just not conducive to, you know, providing good end product. To, to credit, you know, boys have played well all year, I think. Um, we've just been conceding some silly goals, late goals, dropped a lot of points where we shouldn't have. Um, but yeah, the last six weeks we've picked up 15 points. Um, you know, we've avoided relegation, which is really pleasing. And, you know, we were on the verge of finals. Um, so we'll see how that goes, but coaching as a head coach is a huge challenge. You know, you're, you're managing, managing multiple players. And as an assistant coach, I didn't see that at all because I wasn't dealing with it. It was always the head coach, but you know, getting calls from players now, oh, I've got this on, this on, can't do this, you know, dealing with players' um, personalities, you know, everyone's so different, so you got to treat them differently. So, yeah, it's it's quite a challenge. Have you found it that players now, uh, just, just their mentality or the way that you need to coach them is different to even how you were as a player? Yeah, 100%, particularly growing up, yeah. uh, my younger years, I uh, yeah, I think back to my early NSL days. Zoran, you know, when I went to Newcastle, you know, even Parramatta, coaches were ruthless. Yeah, you know, they got in your face. They didn't care how they spoke to you, yeah. Yeah. and that was it. You got on with it. You either you, you sink or swim. Whereas now it's it's very different. You know, you've got to be able to know when to control that rage, know which players that you can do that to. You can call out in front of a group which ones you got to put your arm around and and do it privately. But, yeah, it's uh, it's it's very frustrating, you know. I I talked to Mark Brazali. So Mark Brazali is my football director um, who was coached there and he's been successful there. And, you know, he would say – well, I played with him at Adelaide City actually as well in the NSL – yeah, he'd say to the players, you know, when I played professionally, you know, and he goes, you can say that as a coach because you did do it. And I'm like, I'll never be that coach to say when I played this and that. But I did pull it out. I did pull <laughs> it out. Um, yeah, I pulled it out once this year and I sort of stuffed up because you know, I was having a go at one of the players and I said, in my 185-game career, I never did this, I never did that, whatever I was ranting on about. And then I thought about it. The day after, I said, I've gypped myself 200 games here. I want to go back and give him another spray and say, yeah. it wasn't actually 185, it was 385 yeah. games. <laughs> yeah, and another thing, there's a couple more hundred games yeah. on there. Yeah, well, yeah, I imagine that it would, it would be tough. Like, I can even speak to that at a, at a very amateur level as well. Like growing up when I was playing juniors too, the coaches were very, uh, just very in your face. And it was, it was kind of a ruthless environment playing juniors then and that was like you know like the, the state and premier league clubs then yeah. too look i it's a it's a hard thing to say but i mean it does there isn't there's an element of you know when younger players have coming are coming into a first team environment no matter what level there is an element and it's not all players but there's an element of them thinking that they're there now and they they've made it and 
it's their God-given right to be there. Uh, no, you know, you've got an opportunity now. It's up to you to work your socks off to stay there because as quickly as you've come, you can go again. You know, so uh, you've got, got this opportunity now from whether it's me as a coach or you know, an A-league coach, you've been given that opportunity. It can get taken away from you. So you know, there's, there's, it's hard. It's hard to, and particularly at an MPL level, you know, to as a former professional to haven't, and I struggled with that early on to to get players not buy-in, but my my expectations were really high mm -hmm. because I'm coming from a professional level. Mm -hmm. So getting to training on time, yeah. you know, and when I'm seeing when I've got players rocking up, you know, five minutes late consistently, you know, messaging me ten minutes before training starts, I can't make it, you know. That really frustrates me, but you know, I take a step back and go, well, these guys are working all day. You know, some of them are tradies, some of them work in an office, you know, some of them are uni students. So, you know, it's not, don't have the luxury of, you know, saying that this is your job. Yeah. So you've got to accommodate that kind of stuff, which, you know, then I think of myself as a coach, I'm, am I compromising my standards then? Am I compromising what I want to do as a coach, you know? Am I coaching for the right reasons? Should I keep coaching? So, yeah, heaps goes into it. You know, I, I think about that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah. You know, if I can't if I can't get players to commit fully to the cause, then yeah. am I going to get what I want out of it from them? And if I'm not, what am I doing it for? So, do, do you have ambitions to coach at a higher level? No, no, no. And the reason for that is because I'm not interested. I've done that that 16 years of travelling around the world. You know, having to fight for fight for jobs and contracts and that kind of stuff. And a good example of that is Mickey Valkanis, you know, who wants to be a career coach. You know, he's done it hard here. He went to Melbourne, then he's been to Holland. Now he's in Greece. And I'm at a different stage of my life where, you know, my wife is now on that career path and and I'm supporting her to do that. So, you know, in, in all honesty, if she got the job that went overseas or got the job interstate, then that'd be the thing that I, that we'd go for, you know. But, you know, job security as well, you know, you just never know. It's, uh, I think being a coach is a bit more cutthroat than being a player. Just quickly looking back on on your career, like we we often bring up things like classic goals or classic matches or something that, you know, specific things that we want to ask you about. But... Just want to throw it back to you. Like, what do you, what are the things that stick out in your mind the most? Like, some of your favourite memories. Yeah, one of one of my favourite goals. I mean, I was scored that that hat trick in the Champions League, which was that was great. But one of the goals that stick out for me was um, early on in the piece uh, finals against Sydney, Sydney FC. We'd just gone down, and um, you know, a packed Marsh. It was a perfect day. Um, Carl Vietz put this ball through to me, and uh, out wide on the left and cut in and got past Milligan and then Clint Bolton's come out and I've gone around Clint Bolton and then and scored that goal, you know. Viet, the counter, Dodd gets past Milligan, still going, Travis Dodd, past the keeper as well and Dodd has equalised from one end to the other. It's, it's moments like that that, you know, I, I remember it's, you know, being involved in you know, even outside of games, the travel and the the camaraderie, um, you know, with the group 
traveling throughout Europe, um, you know, playing the cards at the airports and, you know, joking about getting stuck in China um, for seven hours and, you know, thinking it's a conspiracy to, to try and get you off your game and yeah. which probably was. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really the players and being the change room. The change room, if I had to, that's what I miss most about the game is the change room. So, you know, when you look back and the players that we had, um, you know, that that's what makes your time a happy time. You hear that a lot from professional athletes after their careers ended. It's that camaraderie. It's that day-to-day yeah. being with your mates and, you know, the, the, the change room banter, all of that. Yeah. That yeah, they miss yeah. the most. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we're just going to finish off with uh, a little bit of a rapid fire uh, question, although uh, it'll, it, it will certainly seem like a rapid fire in the final edit. Perhaps now here we uh, it won't go that quick, but um, just a few a few questions. I think we know the answer to this one. The Twitter feud with Scott Jamison, real or fake? <laughs> I don't want to disappoint people. Okay. Uh, well, let's no. leave it ambiguous. Okay. All right. Uh, hang on, hang on. What I will say is sometimes I ring him up and I say I'm bored, so check your Twitter. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. I just wind him up. Yeah. I, I see it. Yeah. I, I do love I do love hammering him in particular. Yeah. Like, because he can take it. Yeah, he can. Yeah, and and we're just we're just that close. So just one thing that I maybe you could put in there actually. So he on Instagram has started doing these shout outs for for cash. And I can't remember what he charges. It's like something like eighteen dollars or something. And I rang him the other day when I first saw it. I screenshotted it. I sent it to him. I go, mate, is your contract really that bad that you're now resorting to shout outs for eighteen dollars a pop? Like seriously, he would be the first person that jumps all over that and hammers people for being so cringe. So. Yeah, okay. Now he's he's an influencer. Yeah. <laughs> he's not an influencer. I've seen the app. Some celebrities yeah. charge two or three grand just for I've a seen, shout yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It is absolutely crazy. Um, and there's a few few of the A League boys on there um, on the different platforms, a few different platforms. But you know, I was I'm thinking of going under uh, an anonymous name and getting him to do one for me, <laughs> like paying him to do yeah. a shout out to me. Yeah, and then you know. Posting that. Dravis Todd or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 All right, go, Jill. Yeah. Uh, most talented teammate you played with? Uh, Flores. Marcus Flores. Yeah, um, we didn't even talk about him today. Yeah, what was it like being on the pitch with him? Uh, it's weird because I don't, know, I don't know why I said it's weird, but there was a really good understanding that I had with him um, on the ball. I mean – I still speak to him outside of football, not as regularly as we probably should catch up, but we just had this great understanding, me, him, and even Matt Leckie um, on the other side. But it was just that that understanding that when he's got the ball in a certain position, I just know that I'm going to run. And I know I'm going to make the forward run in behind and I know that he's going to get it there. And if it's not this one, it will be the next one. So... Yeah. So Sergio Van Dyke, he mentioned the same thing like that, uh, just the, you know, the telepathic understanding. Yeah, almost it's without, yeah, it's it's being able to understand what he's going to do without us having to communicate it, you know, and for, for having been at the cl- 
the club such a short amount of time, yeah. realistically, um, yeah, he's made a pretty big impression on a lot of players. Yeah, he's he's another one going back to players that leave and come back that um, hasn't fared so well from some fans with a few boos. No, exactly. Which is perhaps and unfair. That is unfair, and I'm not going to speak on his behalf. But there's a lot more, you know, to that. Um, unfortunately, and as a as a as a friend, I know that story, but you know, I just think that some fans need to, you know, cut him some slack there because, you know, realistically, he always wanted to come back to Adelaide. Yeah, yeah, we've heard that. We've heard him speak about that as well. Yeah. Johnny Warren, medal winner. So the only one yeah. that we yeah, that's, right. yep. that's right. Uh, anyway, class player. So uh, worst person to room with? Um, well, I really only roomed with one person here uh, my time in Adelaide, and that was Ange Costanzo. And he was pretty bad. Like he's, <laughs> I didn't have a lot of roommates over the years, but Andrew was bad. Like he would be in his jocks all the time. As soon as we get in, like stripping off. He was a bit of a grub. Um, not a bit of. He was a grub in general. You know, messy. You know, he'd probably say the same thing about me. So, yeah, you know, we're probably as bad as each other. Well, like his his uh, flowing locks back in the day. His his hair. The hair, did he leave hair in the bathroom? Like, what happened? Well, it was, yeah, it's thinning out then. Um, <laughs> you know, it's getting thin now, even thinner. But, yeah, it was not so much that. It's you know, maybe not walking around. Yeah, in your jogs. Yeah, or it, it, less, you know, sometimes. Yeah. You know, there's, or maybe there was something hanging out of his jocks, always something hanging out of his jocks, and not hair I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know where we go yeah. from there. But anyway. uh, toughest opponent. Uh, toughest opponent would have been Kevin Musket. Um, he was just uh, an animal. Uh, and he's one of those players that, you know, if you're not on his team or if he's on the opposition team, you hate him. Um, and, you know, I disliked him a lot uh, as an opposition player. But when I played Socceroos with him uh, and I was his teammate, I, I realised that, you know, he's a really good person and a good bloke uh, and a good team man, good good player to have on your team and and he's one of the first players that I think you'd pick um, to have on your team. Uh, it's just that he gets that white line fever uh, and, you know, goes a bit nuts when he crosses <laughs> the line. Um, but, you know, that can be a good thing. Yeah, um, and did he, he speak a lot when you're out on the pitch? Yeah, he was, he's always the niggly stuff, you know, getting in your ear. Um, yeah, it's just the – I won't say the late tackles. They were late tackles. Yeah, they were. Um, the follow-throughs. One thing that he was notorious for as well was whistling. Um, you know, he'd done that a couple of times in the games that we'd played him. Uh, I think Ange Costanzo actually got caught out by it. He whistled during the game when Ange's like attacking and you just stop because you think it's a referee. So he was he was bad for that. So every little dirty trick and tactic. He'll in the just, book. Yeah. 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 He knew them all. Um, yeah, I guess – Played in the UK for a lot of his career as well, so he'd sort of seen it all before and mastered it well. And that was what was so frustrating because he would always get away with it, seemingly every time. Yeah, he would get away like okay, challenge the yellow card, but then he'd still get through unscathed. And we've got players being sent off, <laughs> you know. Okay, so yeah. last one. We've been building up to this, or at least I have. So true or false, the phone celebration and the tapping the chest, is that a story you can tell us on the record or not? Uh, it is true that uh, I cannot um, reveal the, <laughs> the story behind that celebration. Yes, I've heard. Yeah, okay. Well, we are going to leave everyone hanging there. I have heard a story. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it afterwards. But, yeah, it just seemed like it was uh, something between mates. 
on, yeah, on an myself away trip. and uh, Scott Higgins. Yeah, okay. Um, he was here for a short time as well, but yeah. good mates with him as well. Okay, well there you go. We did not get to the bottom of it, and I apologise to everyone. We're <laughs> going to leave you hanging there uh, and wrap it up. But Travis, thank you so much. Thanks for so much, in. Travis. And uh, Cheers, yeah, boys. despite some technical issues there towards the end, which no one will know because I would have edited it. Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> exactly. Cheers, boys. Right, thanks. Thanks. Thanks.